Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Enter you in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life and few there be that find it. The late Worldwide Church of God founder, Herbert W. Armstrong, used this passage to describe the many persecutions, trials, setbacks, and obstacles he faced in over five decades of doing God's work. Straight and narrow is the way to life. It's not the easy way, as Mr. Armstrong pointed out. In fact, he said in chapter 38 of his autobiography, it has not been an easy road. I know why Jesus was a man of sorrows. It was not because of persecution against him or personal suffering, but the anguish of seeing those he loved reject the truth and be willing to turn the wrong way to their own perdition. It hurts deeply to see people drop by the wayside. But in the work of God, the great blessings outweigh the sorrows 100 to 1. Like I said, that is in his autobiography. The autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong, available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. Now, there are a couple specific examples of the trials that Mr. Armstrong faced in doing God's work. These examples that I have here for you today are from chapters 37 and 38. Now, Mr. Armstrong, for a few years had been on a tiny radio station in Oregon. And in 1937, he was trying to expand. Well, actually, no, 1934, he was trying to expand from just one smallest powered station to really all of Portland, and then eventually beyond. Mr. Armstrong had the vision of eventually expanding God's message throughout the entire Pacific Northwest, and maybe even down the West Coast. For us today, knowing that his message actually ended up going around the globe, it's pretty humorous for us to hear how limited this goal actually turned out to be. 
Mr. Armstrong was a man of vision. He always thought big, but he could have never imagined how big God would make it, would make that message go. But whenever it came time to try to expand from that one radio station into a much bigger area, Mr. Armstrong lacked the faith to go through the open door. Now, Christ promised to provide open doors for God's work, the work of which Christ is the head. Revelation 3, verse 8, records that promise. There will be open doors for God's work. The message will always have opportunities to go out and even to expand. Revelation 3, verse 8 says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. It's interesting what God emphasizes here in this verse. This is an open door that no man can shut. That means it's not just a man holding it open. If a man is holding it open, then another man could shut it. This is a door that is open due to supernatural means. Paranormal power, some might view it as. God keeps the door open for his work. And when that door is open, he expects his people to walk through, to seize these opportunities. Notice what else this verse emphasizes. You have a little strength. (laughs) God always reminds us how weak we are if we do not trust in him. We have just a little strength, a fleck, the tiniest iota or molecule or square poundage of strength. We are nothing compared to God. And so we have to, as it says here in Revelation 3 verse 8, keep God's word and not deny his name. So we keep the law, the spiritual Ten Commandments that would solve all world problems and really do make things run smoothly within God's work. And we also make sure we don't deny God's name. So we have a government structure that really gets results. A government structure stamped with God's approval. That is why we receive open doors that no man can shut. And all we have to do is walk through. Now, Mr. Armstrong had to learn this lesson. And he did learn this lesson. But we're all human. And no matter how strong 
our faith might be, there are times where it will get put to a serious test. When it came time for Mr. Armstrong to try to expand the reach of God's message over the radio in 1934, he looked for physical evidence that the work would be able to afford this. He says, instead of trusting God fully, I wanted the assurance of men. I sent out letters to our few coworkers asking for monthly pledges. I have mentioned how that door then swung shut and did not again open to us for two and a half years. So in this case, Mr. Armstrong hesitated before going through the door. Now, it's not a matter of him asking for pledges. Maybe if he had just gone through the door right away, it could have been helpful to find out uh, maybe the financial details a little bit more. But the, the point is to go through the door as soon as God opens it. That takes wisdom, discernment. God was leading Mr. Armstrong. God was showing Mr. Armstrong that this was an open door. And yet still Mr. Armstrong hesitated. Now, I'm not trying to criticize Mr. Armstrong. It's not my place, and I would never think to do that. In fact, it is absolutely incredible that he would write about his failure of faith for all of us to learn from in his autobiography. Now, it's one thing to maybe tell a story about a lesson you learned where you failed or, or, or I failed. Maybe I made a costly mistake in my personal life. I've certainly done that. And I've talked publicly about some things like that before. But what about making a mistake that affects God's entire work and then writing openly about that? That's what Mr. Armstrong did. Imagine the gigantic amounts of humility it would take to do that. Making a mistake that affects God's entire work and then admitting it. Admitting defeat to tens of thousands of readers, hundreds of thousands of readers. He said that God's door his open door for radio expansion swung shut and did not again open to us for two and a half years. He admits plainly God's punishment for this failure of faith. Now notice this. Notice how bad it really got. Because they did not go through this open door of radio expansion of God's message of warning and hope back in 1934. He writes, not only was the expansion of the broadcasting withheld two whole years, 
but the plain truth was suspended from publication also. After I failed to trust God by going on KXL when he opened its door to us, we were allowed to print and send out only two more issues of the plain truth. March and July issues, 1935. And then the plain truth was entirely suspended for two and a half years. After the issue of July 1935, there was not another issue that year. There was not a single issue of the plain truth during 1936. There was not one number of the plain truth all during 1937. Not until January 1938 did the plain truth appear again. We were dramatically reminded of the lesson that God expects his people to trust him in living faith. What a powerful, painful lesson for Mr. Armstrong to learn. And not only did he receive correction from God, but he wrote it down so we could learn about it and learn from it. Mr. Armstrong truly was a living sacrifice, a servant of God for over 50 years, really close to 60 years. And the fact that he wrote this down for us is truly remarkable. I just think we all need to understand that. Colossal humility on display. Mr. Armstrong continues here in chapter 37 of his autobiography, again available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. Every time I glance at the current volume number of The Plain Truth and see those two years missing, I have to be reminded that God taught me a stern lesson. When he opens such doors, he expects me to walk on through, trusting him. Would you say this takes courage? Well, not exactly. Not after so many years of experience learning that God can be trusted. It's a mighty practical lesson. God's way of life is practical. The autobiography is immense proof of this. Mr. Armstrong had so many unique and varied experiences in so many different fields. He was an expert, a master in multiple fields, and hardly anyone had more hard trials than he did. Hardly anyone had to learn more than Mr. Armstrong did that straight and narrow is the way to life, as it says in Matthew Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which I quoted earlier, and which Mr. Armstrong quoted in talking about his experience serving God and doing his work. 
Mr. Armstrong learned countless times that straight and narrow is the way to life. He went through so much persecution, even dealing with God's own church, the spiritually dead Sardis era of God's church, the fifth of seven church eras described in Revelation chapters two and three. Mr. Armstrong saw that this Sardis church era was off track. He associated with the brethren while never becoming an official member of that church. The brethren really leaned on him as a leader and he was the only one, the only minister producing any fruit. And so this other lesson here in chapters 37 and 38 of the autobiography that I want to focus on has to do with Mr. Armstrong being attacked by people within God's own church. A church era, of course, going off track and dying, but still God's church nonetheless. They really came after him hard, especially the ministers. The brethren looked to Mr. Armstrong more than they looked to any of the other ministers because only Mr. Armstrong taught God's truth without an agenda. And he never tried to compete with those other ministers for more status and more authority. It just came to him as he served God. Now in 1937, as Mr. Armstrong was finally expanding on radio, he held a camp meeting in Cabin City, just north of Eugene, Oregon. August 20th through 29th, 1937, a 10-day meeting. This was advertised on the radio. He advertised it quite effectively. And he invited all of his listeners to attend. But wouldn't you know it, <laughs> a delegation of the leading members, the leading ministers of the, of the Salem, West Virginia branch of the church were actually, was actually plotting against him. So leading ministers during this Sardis church era that was spiritually dying tried to come to this camp meeting to undermine everything Mr. Armstrong was doing. Here, Mr. Armstrong was expounding on God's hope-filled truth. He was producing fruit. He was gaining new converts to the church. And they were doing absolutely nothing of any value. But what they wanted to do was attack him. They wanted to come out to this camp meeting in Oregon, this 10-day camp meeting, and attempt to discredit and ruin the radio broadcast. Imagine that. The one true 
radio broadcast in the entire world. The only radio broadcast that declared God's truth and yet God's own ministers were trying to destroy it. Doesn't it make sense that these Sardis ministers, this church era is described as dead? So they came out really all the way from West Virginia to try to destroy a meeting being held all the way in Oregon. They were planning to defame and discredit Mr. Armstrong. And so Mr. Armstrong threatened to shut the whole 10 day camp meeting down. Now he did eventually go forward with it anyway, but he writes here in chapter 38, there was an undercurrent of bitterness and hate right within God's own church. Just despicable. He continues, whenever I preached, the next minister to preach devoted his sermon to an attempt to refute, disagree with, and tear down everything I had said. I tried hard to preach on subjects that could not be disputed or disagreed with, yet they found a way to twist what I had said and attempt to cast reflection against me. And then even a so-called apostle who had appeared very friendly to Mr. Armstrong took the floor and betrayed Mr. Armstrong. He pretended like he was helping Mr. Armstrong and took away his pastorship of a church group in Jefferson. Mr. Armstrong described it as he almost wept crocodile tears of pretended sympathy. And yet these ministers attempting to betray Mr. Armstrong and destroy him, attacking Mr. Armstrong from within God's own church failed miserably. One elder and one deacon of the Jefferson church resigned immediately upon hearing this fake sympathetic announcement of Mr. Armstrong losing pastorship of the Jefferson church. Everyone in the Eugene church and half the members in Jefferson cut off all connection with these rebels. Mr. Armstrong said those who attacked him and tried to destroy the radio broadcast at this camp meeting in 1937 had proved themselves willing to serve Satan and their own personal greed and to injure the very work of God. I am going to end all comment about that group here with the epitaph that, like a dead tree, they have since split and resplit into so many little tiny groups, all hating one another, that no one seems to know where all of them are. 
These harassing events were unpleasant. It really did hurt Mrs. Armstrong and me and all loyal to God's true work very deeply to see some we loved very much willing to be misled by greedy and self-willed little powerless preachers. But such is life and such is this world. So two examples today from chapters 37 and 38 of the many trials and tribulations that Mr. Armstrong faced in doing God's one true work, delivering a message of the coming kingdom of God all around the world, fulfilling a prophecy in Matthew 24, verse 14. Mr. Armstrong learned that straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life and few there be that find it. How thankful we should be that we have found it. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time 